0: Hi, I'm Lindsay
1: and I'm Marshall. Welcome to tumble the show where we explore stories of science discovery
0: Have you ever wondered how you learned a language? How do you understand
1: what I'm saying right now?
0: Today? We're talking with a scientist who is piecing together the puzzle of language About language a lot since we moved to Barcelona, Spain.
1: The locals here all speak two languages, Spanish and a regional language called Catalan.
0: I'm taking classes to learn Spanish and our three-year-old son is learning Catalan in school. People here keep saying that kids are like sponges.
1: A sponja, A sponja. I learned that in Catalan from presentations at school.
0: (laughs) But maybe our listeners have experienced something like this if they speak many languages already. Maybe their parents speak to them in different languages.
1: Or maybe they're speaking a different language at school than they speak at home. And I'll bet they speak that language at school pretty darn well.
0: The process of learning and speaking a new language has always just blown my mind. I just don't get it. That's part of the reason why I wanted to talk to Evan Kidd, an Australian scientist who is studying language in the Netherlands.
2: The best language learners are children, and that's really remarkable, right? Because children come into the world without any knowledge of what a language should be like.
1: Oh, that brings up a really big question. How do we know what language even is? We're supposed to be understanding these random sounds I'm making as words with meaning? Like, why isn't it just herblibliblibliblibliblibliblibliblibliblib?
2: It seems something that's so effortless to us and comes so easily. We often don't realize that it's incredibly complex.
1: Yeah, I mean, I never think about how I managed to master English as a child, but I feel like I'm pretty much native speaker
2: level.
0: <laughs> you are, Marshall. You are. <laughs>
2: maybe if you're eight or nine and you start learning a language, you start realizing that, first of all, there's lots of memory involved. You've got to memorize lots and lots of words. And a language like English has tens of thousands of words. Then you've got the more complicated things, which is the grammars. So, you have to be able to order words in a way that is meaningful for everyone else who speaks that language, so they can understand what you're saying.
1: Just like el coche rojo is how you say the red car in Spanish, but you would never say the car red in English.
0: Right, and that's because the rules of Spanish and English are different, as I'm learning.
2: (laughs) Keep it up. No other animal has a communicative system as complex as language.
0: Because language is unique to humans, and it's such a huge part of our lives, scientists have long wondered why we developed language as a species, and how our brains learn it so well. They're working on a couple of theories, or ideas, about it.
2: So some people have argued that because it's so complex, um, that we actually are born with lots of information about language in our brains.
0: So just as we're born with hair and legs and hands.
1: The idea is that our brain comes packaged with language ready to sprout when we're old enough.
0: But Evan thinks that there's a big problem with that theory.
2: So if you uh, take a human baby that's born to, say, uh, two French-speaking parents, and that family moves to um, let's say, China, that baby will learn Chinese just as well as children whose parents and grandparents and great-grandparents have lived in China all their lives.
1: So it wouldn't be like there's a gene for speaking French and a gene for speaking Chinese, like it can't be that specific, because
2: they're really different languages. It has to be a gene for learning all the ways in which languages can can be different.
1: Some sort of one-size-fits-all language gene.
0: Or maybe just something that says, do this, instead of grunting. What does that mean?
1: I was just agreeing with you in herbal. (laughs) Okay. I don't know if you know, I've been taking herbal classes. I'm working on my certification.
0: I had no idea. It's really hard language. It's
1: really hard language, herbal.
0: (laughs) Well, so can I tell you about the other theory of how we learn language? I'll take that as a yes.
2: Because children, for instance have a long childhood, they hear lots and lots of examples of of speech all the time, and then what they're doing as they're hearing this is constantly changing their understanding of language to a point that once they become about four or five, they're pretty good users of the language. That makes sense.
1: So it doesn't matter which language, if you're exposed to it since you're born, you're eventually going to understand and
2: speak it perfectly.
0: That's the theory that Evan is trying to test along with many other scientists.
2: It's very difficult for us to study the whole process.
1: So (laughs) language, why, is not really the best research
2: question.
0: Right, the question has to be more specific, like why words?
2: The way that we approach it is by um, looking at different parts of the problem, say looking at the sound or the grammar or even word learning, and then trying to um, come up with a complete picture.
0: Evan's question is about how kids learn and understand grammar or how words go together in a certain order.
2: So I'm interested in uh, how, for instance, um, they might understand that the mouse chase the cat is very different from the cat chase the mouse. Yeah, because why would, I mean, we could just assume, like, why would a mouse do that?
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's not just about a cat and mouse chase or vice versa. Grammar is about learning the rules of how the language works, and the rules can be very complicated. So Evan came up with experiments to look inside the language learner's mind.
2: In my lab, we, do, um, we use two types of techniques. So one of them is called eye tracking.
1: Eye tracking? What do eyes have to do with language?
2: When you're hearing language and that language um, describes an event that you can see, it's impossible for the eyes not to follow the language, if that makes sense.
1: Uh, so if I say cat, you're not going to look at the mouse.
0: Yeah, it would be really hard. It's not natural. So if you were a kid in Evan's eye tracking experiment, you would go and sit in front of a computer screen that had two pictures, one of a cat chasing a mouse and another of a mouse chasing a cat. Then you'll hear the sentence the cat chases the mouse.
2: And then we'll have a little camera that's at the bottom of the screen, and that records where the child is looking as they're hearing language. And so if you can
1: understand the sentence, you'd automatically look at the picture of the cat chasing the mouse.
2: If we can match up where they're looking with the sentence that they're hearing, then we can say something about how they understand the sentence as they're hearing it. That's interesting, but didn't Evan say that he had two different techniques? What we also do is we actually measure brain activity of um, very young infants as well because actually children are learning about language right from pretty much when they're in the womb. Wait, so we're learning language before we're even born?
0: Yeah, isn't that crazy? We can hear our mother's voice and we start hearing sounds from the outside world when we're in her belly. That's the beginning of language. And as soon as we're born, we hear it more and more.
2: Mostly like, oh, who's a pretty baby,
1: who's a pretty
2: baby? So we use this technique um, where we can record uh, their brain activity in response to sounds and sentences and words and things like that. And that uh, lets us understand, or lets, that enables us to understand what they might know before they can even speak. Okay, so what does that experiment actually look like? Sure. well, it looks very space age. So you put a cap on their heads, uh, like it looks like a swimming cap. And then in the cap are all these little holes. And in the holes, you put these uh, electrodes.
0: Electrodes are flat metal discs that make contact with the baby's heads. Evan uses them to record changes in the baby's brain activity as he plays them sounds and sentences.
1: So you can tell if babies actually recognize words. Or just think it's more grown-up gibberish.
0: Exactly.
2: That's really neat. So, what has Evan learned? And so, using uh, this particular technique, what we've found is that around nine months of age, some children are really good at finding those words, and some children aren't so good at finding those words, but they're going to catch up pretty soon later.
1: So an advanced nine-month-old can recognize the words,
2: what would make you stop crying? I
1: need to sleep. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. Those nine-month-olds wouldn't be able to answer you, though.
1: That's too bad.
0: Bit by bit, Evan's experiments are adding pieces of knowledge to that big question, why we have language and how we learn it.
2: We know, for instance, that they may learn, um, start to learn words when they're about one year of age, and then they start to combine words a little bit after that, and then they, their language gets more and more complex as they get older. How that happens, the kinds of processes that underlie these, these achievements are still something of a mystery.
0: Evan still wants to know how children take everything that they hear and learn to make sentences with ideas that can be pretty complicated.
1: So basically, how they learn to talk like a normal human.
0: Which I'm still struggling with in Spanish.
1: (laughs) Speaking of, why is it so much harder for adults to learn a new language than kids?
2: You've learned your first language really well, so you're 11 or 12 or something like that. Because you've learned that language so well, it makes it a little bit more difficult to learn another language.
0: Basically, if you're comfortable with the rules and words of just one language, like I am, it's really hard to adapt to new words and new rules.
1: So the earlier you learn a second, or third or fourth language, the better.
0: Well, I'm going to just keep studying because even though it's harder, you can still learn languages later in life. But when it comes to studying language itself... Evan says the process is not so different from being a biologist or a chemist.
2: So we do things like we have theories and we make predictions or hypotheses on the basis of those theories and then we try to test them.
0: But there's one big difference. Languages don't grow in labs. They come from different places in different cultures. We
2: have many different languages, and then it's sometimes unclear what theories might say about one language over the other, but at the same time, it's really fun because you can use different languages maybe to test theories as well. You have a whole bunch of what you might think of as natural experiments in the world.
0: That means there will always be more to explore. Bon dia. Thanks to Evan Kidd, senior scientist at the Max Planck Institute for Psycholinguistics. And a very special thanks to Christine Taylor, a tumble listener, or should I say a tumble mom, in the Netherlands, who answered our call for scientists in Europe. Thanks to Christine and her family.
1: Sarah Lance is our associate producer.
0: I'm Lindsay Patterson, and I host and produce this show.
1: And I'm Marshall Escamilla, and I make all of the music. Thanks for listening, and tune in next time for more stories of science discovery.